It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. I'm coming to you from a hotel room in Tampa, Florida, where spring training is well underway. And I'm joined on the phone right now by our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. What's going on, Nate? Hey, John. Good to speak to you. I hope uh, hope things are going well down there in Tampa. It's probably nice to be back in, in Florida had to have been a couple of years since you've been down there, right? The last time I was down in Florida was in March of 2020 when we were all pretending that everything was just fine. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some, some things have happened since then. Yeah. But, but I got to tell you, so it's a Wednesday that we're recording this and I'm once we're done, I'm going to head to the ballpark and it'll be my first time in a clubhouse since then. And that's pretty exciting because that's where the best parts of our job happen. Really? Yeah, no doubt. I'm really looking forward to, uh, the team getting up here, I, I'm not going to make it down to Tampa uh, during spring training, but opening day is right around the corner here. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to get back in the clubhouse and uh, be able to talk to guys in person and rather than over Zoom. You know, that's really kind of the best way, I think, to talk to guys. So I'm looking forward to that and, and half the year getting a chance to do so down there. For sure. So this is actually the last episode of our fifth season of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I can't believe we are through five years of this. Obviously, we lost a couple months on this season, but still, I, I love doing this. I love talking to you guys about this stuff. I love just kind of reporting on and talking about baseball in a different way. I know I speak for myself. I'm excited about everything that we have starting next week in season six. So it's a lot to look forward to. But in this episode, I guess we should get right into it. A couple of things we're going to do here. We're going to talk about two of our features from the spring issue of Yankees Magazine. One, our cover story on Tampa Tarpons manager, Rachel Balkovich. And of course, the eight-year piece also on Clay Holmes, which I hope everyone's had a chance to read by now. And then in our second segment, we're going to do what we like to do on our season finales. We are going to make predictions for the upcoming season. So stick around if you would like to see us make fools of ourselves. But let's get right into it, Nate. Obviously, Major League Spring Training is you know well underway. So it's not like the beginning of spring training such as it was this year when the whole group is together. But you know, what that means is that over at the Heim side, Rachel Balkovich, the cover subject of our 2022 spring issue, is well at work getting ready for her season managing the Tampa Tarpons. I can't imagine too many more exciting A-ball managers that uh, you, you could write about. And uh, I certainly had the privilege to do so this month for our cover story about Rachel. And, you know, Nate, obviously you're also, uh, you've spent some time with her. You're going to spend more time with her. You've written about her. I, I know you share my feeling that for whatever the obvious levels of, you know, pioneering and trailblazing that she's done, she's also just a fascinating and really, really cool person. Yeah, there's no doubt. You could spend hours talking about her her baseball credentials and her resume and just what a, a pioneer she is solely in that regard. But she's really, like you said, just a fascinating person. I mean, she's somebody who is always traveling around the world and just puts a lot of value in 
relationships with people. And, and I think that's really going to serve her teams well. She's not in this for herself. Just I always get the impression that she really takes stock in other people and wants to help young ball players grow and uh, wants to just be a positive impact on, on everybody she meets and even people she doesn't meet. You know, she's, she realizes she's out there as a, uh, you know, sort of a, a symbol for breaking down barriers and stuff. And a lot of eyes are on her as a result of that. And uh, she, she embraces that. Absolutely. And for this story, one of the things that I tried to do was talk to not just people who had directly impacted her, people who had been part of her lives, but people who had blazed similar trails in the past. And, and one thing I don't want to say I struggled with, it was actually kind of funny because one of the people I spoke to, her name is Sue Falson. She is, she, or she, sorry, she was the uh, head trainer for the Dodgers some years back. She was the first female head trainer in professional sports, uh, American professional sports. And she kept kind of saying to me, <laughs> like apologetically, man, this is a really hard story to write because she understood, you know, you don't want to say the wrong thing in this. You don't want to trivialize. You don't want to make the wrong judgments or make the wrong assertions. And one thing that kind of kept on coming back from all the people I spoke to, and again, these are people who have established themselves. These are people who worked probably harder than any of the men who you know, had had their jobs previously. And and I wasn't always certain if I was going to get a, hey, you know what? Just treat us like a normal person. But rather what I what I got was they all said, no, we need to take time to stop and appreciate this. This is a huge moment. And whether it's taken too long, whether it hasn't been enough, that's a story for another time. But everyone I spoke to said, this is something we need to talk about. We can't pretend, we can't act like we've been there, if you will, because we haven't been there. This is brand new. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, the goal is hopefully someday it isn't new and, and, you know, it isn't as big of a deal, but when it is the first, when you are, you know, blazing a new trail, it is worthy of recognition. And, uh, you know, John, I, I think our readers, whether they got it mailed to them as subscribers or picked it up at Steinbrenner Field down there during spring training, you know, I think they'll come away from having read this story with an appreciation, not just of what Rachel has been through and, and what she, you know, means to the sport and, and to so many other people, but how lucky the, the Yankees are and, and the Tarpons are going to be to have her because, I mean, her skill level is just so high. I mean, you, I think early on in your in your story, you point out like, no one sees this this journey ending in a, in a low-way manager's office. She is destined for big and, and impressive things. And so, you know, the, the lives that she impacts along the way are really uh, fortunate. You know, I think the, the players on the Tarpons this year are going to gain a lot from, from having worked under her. And one thing that came up a lot again, especially though from Gene Afterman, who is the Yankees assistant general manager. She followed Kim Ang, who's now the Miami Marlins general manager. Maybe the progress hasn't been as fast as she would have wanted, but she pointed this out to me. And also I should point out that Dylan Lawson, the Yankees hitting coach who goes back to Houston with Rachel, that's where she came onto the radar. The Yankees don't make decisions for novelty purposes. They don't make statements like this. Dylan Lawson told me it was early on in his time with the Yankees when he was the, hit, the hitting coordinator and they were sitting around throwing around names, basically, of people who might be good to bring in. And as he told me, you know, it's not like he was in a position to help out a friend. He wasn't in a position to miss. He was a new guy with a franchise and he had to only name people who he was dead confident could do the job. And yet Rachel was the first person who came to his mind. And again, I, I think that the world being what it is, social media being what it is, you know, we've seen this 
just in the last couple of days since the story went online. There's obviously so many people who are touched by this moment and excited by this moment. And then you have the jerks who are like, man, you know, why, why are we writing so much about a A-ball manager, blah, 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 or other terrible things. But the reality is you talk to the people who actually know her, you talk to the people who've worked with her and you see this has incredibly little to do with any of the things that people don't want it to be. What this is about is people identifying the best possible person to be working in player development for this team. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, every every decision that this organization makes is is geared toward winning that next championship. And this is a, a championship level mind that they've added to a, a prominent position. You know, she's going to have the opportunity to to mold young players who are the future uh, New York Yankees. Which is something she's been doing for a while already. Like this is, I don't mean to cut you off. Obviously this one position is new, but she's been working with the lowest levels of the Yankees minor leaguers as, as a hitting coordinator and as a strength and conditioning coordinator before that. This is not someone who is coming in out of nowhere. As she pointed out, most of these players she'll be managing have already worked with her. It's not going to be strange for them to be working with her. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it's, it's just like, it's so relevant, I feel, that obviously this is new and this is interesting. And you want to say that we're guilty of hyping it up or whatever? Whatever, I disagree, but fine. But the, the reality is... The people who actually are going to be with her, this is not new for them. They are used to being with Rachel Balkovich. Yeah, it's only going to be a, a positive for this team, both in the short term and in the long run. From an editorial perspective, I mean, look, we had to have a, a spring training program ready to go for, what, five days after the, the lockout ended or something like that? Or when was the first home game? I mean, it was like, you know, boom, boom, the, the lockout ended and we needed to be ready to go. And um, I just, you know, to me, when it was, I, I think you were the one who originally, you know, posed the idea of putting her on the cover of the spring issue. I was just like, oh, it's, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it was like a story that we were able to do during the lockout. It came out beautifully. We have all this, uh, you know, wonderful photos of Rachel because uh, our chief photographer, Ariel Goldman Hacked, has spent a ton of time with her down there in Florida. So it all just came together. And I think anybody who, who reads this story will, will, agree that made a lot of sense to not only put her on the cover, but, you know, tell this story in full and we'll continue to track her progress down there. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested to head down there. You know, the plan right now is for Ari and I to go down and and cover her first game as the Tarpons manager for, you know, a story in a later issue. And, uh, you know, I'm interested to hear from her players, you know, what, what it's like, uh, you know, having a, a first time manager, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some, some growing pains, uh, as somebody, you know, who hasn't been in that manager's role before, but I'm hundred percent confident she's going to do an awesome job. And, uh, it's just a great story that I look forward to continuing to follow. I think that's the the biggest point there. That is a story that we are going to continue to follow. This isn't something that we are going to, we dropped in on once and we're done with, because the reality is, and, it, and it, this is to circle back to the beginning here, as wonderful as this is, as really strong a track record as the Yankees do have with things of this nature, you know, there does need to be more. And, and, and the fact is, there are more women in uniform for professional baseball at all levels this year than ever before. And you, you imagine this can continue, but you imagine something like this is a big part of that. And it was wonderful to write the story. It was wonderful to speak to her a lot of times. And I would even say get to know her a little bit, but it, it's also... You know, take this for what it's worth. It's wonderful to be part of an organization that is willing to make this step and that isn't afraid to make the step like this. Because again, I know this sounds like we're a broken record here, but this is not a novelty. This is not a effort to gain some eyeballs or anything like that. This is someone who has been identified for years as 
ready for this at the top of her field. Again, everyone I spoke to said she is overqualified for this position. So we'll see what happens. You know, will will there be more scrutiny? Will there be, you know, some difficulties? Of course, that's to be expected and whatever. She's ready for that. I promise you, she is not uh, shrinking away from that. So it'll be fun to watch. That story is called A Change Has Come, and it's in the spring issue. It's the cover story. Uh, it is available to Yankees magazine subscribers. And also, if you go to George M. Steinbrenner Field for one of the last few spring training games, you can get it there. Of course, like everything else, you can get it by calling 800-GO-YANKS or going to yankees.com slash publications. But that's just one piece of our spring issue. Nate, you also got to spend some time chatting with one of the biggest surprises of the 2021 season and certainly a guy who we're all excited to see what 2022 looks like and that's clay holmes and if there's one thing that we've all learned certainly in our time covering baseball covering this team most relievers are hard to predict from one season to the next you know they're not all mariano rivera they're not all a role chapman or some stuff like that but as you see a lot with this team, and, and certainly with a lot of teams, the Yankees identified something in Clay Holmes that didn't seem obvious when he was traded, and they were rewarded with just an amazing second half from that guy. Yeah, he was really incredible. I mean, I, I think his uh, ERA was 161 in about 25 games with the Yanks down the stretch. Um, he, was, he was a big part of that late season September push, pitching in big spots and, and getting the job done. So. I was really kind of curious to find out, you know, just what was the, the story behind his success here? Because when he came over from Pittsburgh at the trade deadline, you know, he was a guy who had a 557 ERA, you know, just a, a right-handed reliever who really, you know, he was never a closer. He's never, you know, really done anything too noteworthy. But then he comes here and he's just lights out. So I really was curious to find out uh, how it came to be, you know, and, and like any other story you know when you have a chance to like talk to a guy at length it's really just interesting you know it's like pr- probably my favorite part of the job is just getting to know guys a, a little bit who come from you know very different backgrounds than than my own you know like we've i've had lunch with masahiro tanaka and i've spent time in the dominican with, with uh, guys from down there and you know he was a guy who grew up in like rural southeastern alabama and father is a, a, a pastor down there he, you know comes from a, a christian home and very uh, deep deeply religious so um just really i'm always interested to talk to guys wherever they're from and get their story and, and find out how they became a yankee and obviously like we said at the top here we're gonna hit stop on this pretty soon and i'm gonna head over to George M. Steinbrenner Field and get into a clubhouse for the first time in a while and this is something that brian hoke from mlb.com and i were talking about on the last episode it's just strange how many guys who are established on this team at this point I've never met. And it's going to be very strange to get in there and talk to these guys because like you said, it's such a great part of our job, but it's also such an interesting part of our storytelling is not just watching what these people do on the field, but getting a sense of who they are and getting to talk to them and figuring out what makes them funny, what makes them fun, what makes them interesting, maybe some of their quirks and things like that. And, and obviously you spoke to Clay on the phone for a while and that's better than a Zoom with the entire Yankees beat on it, but but it, you know it, it is a step in the right direction. Let's say, so so what did you take from that conversation? Yeah, so you know I was kind of wondering if it was just a, a change of scenery type thing. You know, I mean, as much as guys, uh, you know, give it their all, no matter what the situation is with their team. You know, the Pirates were like a last place team, and you know here he is coming to a team that's you know shooting to make the World Series. I thought maybe just that change of scenery was but you know 
woke, woke something up in his repertoire, but he said it was more a fact of, you know, he had confidence in his, uh, you know, his, his sinker is his, his bread and butter pitch. But when he came to the Yankees, you know, the manager and coaches were like, they just instilled so much more confidence in him with this pitch. They're like, we really believe this is an elite pitch. We want to see you throw this thing all the time. We think you can get lefties out too with it. And so they're just kind of building him up mentally and then also putting him in positions, bringing him in in times of the game where it makes sense and he's able to go out there and now he's feeling good about it and just throw that pitch. I mean, he was throwing it about 50% of the time in Pittsburgh. It was closer to 75% of the time in New York. You know, it, it rolled all the way into the postseason, really, when the Yanks played in that wildcard game in Fenway. And, you know, obviously Garrett Cole didn't have the type of start that he would have liked or that most anybody expected. Uh, the first guy they brought in after him was Clay Holmes. And uh, he, he got out of a pretty big jam right there where the game could have been blown open. Uh, gave a, a couple good innings after that to allow the Yanks to stick around and close the gap. They didn't end up coming all the way back, but it was just, you know, a, another example of that that renewed confidence. And he just felt like anytime he went out there, he was going to get the job done. And he pretty much did. And you talked about Garrett Cole. Obviously, you could talk about Jamison Tayo. And one thing, it seems like there's a very big contingent on this team right now of former Texas Rangers and also former uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. And there are Garrett Cole, Jameson Tyone, Clay Holmes. Those are guys who came up together. And that, you have to imagine, helped. He speaks about the comfort that he has with a guy like Tyone, the comfort that he has with a guy like Garrett Cole. And, you know, when you're moving to a new team, when you're moving to a team like the Yankees from a team like Pittsburgh, some friendly faces must feel pretty good. Oh, uh, no doubt. You know, he said Jameson Tyone is one of his closest friends in the game. So I think Jameson Tyone is one of everybody's closest friends in the game, but go on. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, he's a pretty friendly dude. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, anytime you get traded in the middle of a season, that's, you know, that's a lot of upheaval, you know? So uh, to come to a team where you have a guy that you're close with, certainly a big help in, in getting Clay Holmes, you know, comfortable and established here. And um, he told me a really cool story about Garrett Cole. So they were both drafted in the same year. I mean, Cole, obviously a lot earlier than, than Holmes, but uh, the Pirates took both those guys uh, the same year. And so Holmes reported to uh, Bradenton and, you know, he shows up that first day and they're like, yeah, you know, you're probably gonna have a roommate. So he's kind of just like killing time in his room and then in walks Garrett Cole. And, uh, you know, he obviously knew who Garrett was, his top overall pick and, you know, what he had done at UCLA and everything and was trying to get a feel for this guy. You know, what's he all about? And, you know, one of the first things that Garrett said to him, he's like, do you want to go out and have a catch? He just couldn't wait to, like, start working. And, you know, that was something that Clay said always kind of stuck with him. Like, here, this guy, you know, he's accomplished so much already, but, like, this guy just has an edge about him and is never, you know, he's always wanting more work and is just raring to go at all times. So. They got off on the right foot there, and yeah, that's another previously existing relationship that I think helped Clay uh, transition so well here in New York. It's a terrific story. I think that always, as analytics become even bigger and and you watch the game evolve, I think there's nowhere easier to watch it happen than with things like the bullpen. And 
where the surprises come from guys you don't expect things from, but you start realizing that it's not random and it's not necessarily just a surprise that the Yankees have a good track record at this point of identifying arms and identifying people who can make a difference there, even if they don't look like it to the naked eye. And I think that you you did a great job talking about who this guy is. And as we get to where we're a week from opening day, you expect big things from him, but, but the story is called Hit in the Mark. Nate, you hit the mark on this one. That was just sitting there waiting for me to say. But uh, it's, it's a great piece. I hope everyone will check it out in our spring issue. And I hope you'll stick with us because when we come back, we're going to have some fun. We're going to make some predictions for the 2022 season. So we will be right back. Hi, this is Clark Schmidt. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Hi, this is Rizzo Hidden. You listen to the New Yankee Magazine Podcast. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. As we said at the beginning, it is our season finale, which means that we are looking dead ahead at our season premiere. We're going to go, instead of our usual two weeks between episodes, we're going to go one week so we can come out on opening day. Why not make that day even better? So we will be ready for you with that. But as we get ready for this last week of spring training, some of the last decisions that have been made, things like that. But obviously, six months plus, hopefully, of great baseball ahead of us. Nate, why don't we make some predictions here? So this is just for fun. Nobody should make bad decisions off any of the things, or even good decisions, off any of the stuff we're saying right now. Don't take this the wrong way. But it is always fun to look ahead and make sure that about six months from now, we can go back over these and make ourselves feel either very smart or very stupid. And it is usually the latter. But Nate, are you ready? (laughs) I am terrible at this, but let's give it a shot. Well, you know what? Let's go. So first things first, we are going to go with an over-under on wins that I'm going to set at 91.5. You can go first on this one. That's a lot. I mean, you know, last year was really interesting. We had four teams in the division that all won 90 or more games. You know, my feeling going into this season, I I think the Yankees are actually going to be better this year. I I know some people may disagree, but I think we're going to have an even better season than we had last year. So I'm going to say over 91 and a half wins. So I'm very torn on this one. I think that I would probably be somewhere around 91 or 92 if I were just to be guessing a number. I think one of the realities is that the team has to do better against the Orioles than they did last year. That was an anomaly figure. But the flip side to that, of course, is that the Blue Jays are just really, really scary. I think when you look at them and obviously the the Rays are the Rays and the Red Sox are the Red Sox. So I, I think that 92 is going to be tough to get to, but I'm going to go over to, I, I think if you ask me in five minutes, I might change my mind. And if you ask me in five more minutes, I might change it again. But for right now, I'm going to say over, I'm really feeling like the answer is 92 basically. So, so there we go. So next question, and I'll go first in this one, obviously, It's different this year. We have a a bigger playoff pool, but the question still remains, as always, will the Yankees make the playoffs? Nate, I think that if I'm saying 92 wins, I got to be consistent. And for that, I got to say, yes, I think a 92 win team in the American League is a playoff team. Yeah. You know, I I look around the rest of the league and I'm pretty confident that the Yankees are, are, are one of the best six teams in the American league. Um, it'll be interesting this year. You know, there's the top two teams get a, a buy into the division series and the other four 
play a best of three wildcard series. So I'll be interested to see whether those two top two teams who get the bye to see how they fare. Because I feel like sometimes uh, having that rest before the playoffs is not a good thing. So um, I do think the Yankees will be one of those six teams. And uh, that'll make Aaron Boone, I believe, the first manager in history to take a team to the playoffs in each of his first five years as a skipper. So one of the interesting things about that added three-game series, because I agree, always you do wonder about the layoffs, but I think one thing that it does is it gives teams who are fighting for that buy an incentive to push because they're then going to get days to rest. And I think where that comes into play is you can maybe throw your ace on three days rest, knowing that you're going to have time to get him back for game one again. And I think that makes a huge difference, which is worth you know watching because obviously you know, baseball is so random that the best team is going to lose, you know, a third of its games, at least probably more, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is the, the one constant that you can do in terms of trying to position yourselves for a playoff series is have your pitching lined up. And so you figure those top two teams at the very least will have their pitching lined up for when it starts. And so I think that that, in my opinion, will counter any rust from a couple of days off, but, but that's a, that is something to watch. So speaking of getting your ACE in place, uh, Garrett Cole strikeouts. I'm setting the over under at 255 and a half. Hmm. 255, huh? I mean, it certainly seems doable. He had 243 last year in 30 starts. I don't know. That's high. though. And he had so many double digit strikeout games last year. I feel like 255 might be tough to get to. I'm going to go under on this one. I'm going to go under. I think that the reason I'm going under is the only way to go over there is to assume perfect health, perfect luck. And, you know, a regular workload. And the biggest thing that is keeping me from going over is the fact that I wonder, and this goes for all starting pitchers, I wonder what kind of length we're going to see from them in April because of how short spring training was. So I think it's going to be, I think strikeout numbers in general are going to be down this year as a result of that, not for staffs as a whole, but for starting pitchers. And that's why for Cole, while under normal circumstances, I would have him probably over on that. Uh, I, I don't think I can say that this year just because I don't know what April will look like. The fact is Garrett Cole can have 230 strikeouts and that will be you know lovely for Yankees fans. I think that we're agreeing on everything though right now. I hope that we stop with this. The the next one, Giancarlo Stanton plus Aaron Judge. Home runs over under 68 and a half. Hmm, 68 uh, for Judge and Stan. I mean, if we get a, a you know, by and large, healthy seasons out of both those guys again this year. I mean, I'm thinking like 80. <laughs> so I'm going to take the over on that one. So I think this is a lot of the same thing that I said with Cole that, you know, the answer, like you said, sure, 80 sounds right to me. 85 sounds doable to me. I think it just comes down to do they get 155 games from both of them? And while they came pretty close to that last year, I think that I'm going to go under. Not a lot, but I think I'm under a little bit. I think one of them probably gets to about 40, and one of them maybe gets to like you know 28, and that's 68, not 68 and a half. So that's where I'm going to sit on right now. But uh, again, th- that's one that uh, seven months from now, when I'm very wrong, and the two of them have combined for like 107 home runs, uh, I think everyone can feel just fine about that and not worry about what I said here on March 30th. Moving right along, DJ LeMayhew. Games started. I'm setting it at 140 and a half. I'm going to go first on this one. This is so hard for me 
because I can't figure out how he gets to this number and what has to happen for him to get to this number. But I also think based on a lot of what I've said before, such as, you know, 92 wins in the playoffs, I think they need him to be DJ LeMayhew of 2019 and 2020. And in my opinion, that means that the answer is over, that he's starting more than 140 and a half games. Again, if you ask me right now, a week before the season starts, I don't know where those come from. And I don't know how Boone is going to do that. And, and, and he talks about how much he enjoys the versatility. And I know he does. And it's a huge part of what makes Clemente so valuable. But you know, I, I wonder how the roster shakes out. Maybe not in the first week, but as we go through the rest of the season and try to figure out you know, the best way to deploy these guys on a night-to-night basis, even if that means moving them around. It'll be very interesting to watch where LeMay, he was getting his playing time. Yeah, you know, I bet if we went back and listened to a podcast that we did three years ago, we probably were having nearly the same conversation about DJ LeMahieu because when the Yankees first signed him prior to the 2019 season, you know, we were all like, well, where's he going to play? Where are they going to put him? And, you know, I mean, he ended up being an all-star in the top five MVP. You find a spot for a guy like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it'll probably be, uh, I'm hoping it'll be uh, much the same this year where it's just, there will be a need for him uh, more often than not, you know, guys will need days off guys will hit the IL and he'll become a regular, you know, at certain positions at different times. Um, And he's just, you know, the type of player like, yeah, last year was not his best year. um, We're all expecting, you know, bigger things this year. And when he is right, I mean, that's just a guy that you find a spot for a guy like that. So uh, whether it's, in the infield or DH day here and there, yeah, I think 140. I'll, I'll take the over with DJ this year. Sounds good. A lot of agreements, though. <laughs> Joey Gallo, strikeouts plus walks, over under 280 and a half. <laughs> well, I know he, he led the, the league in, in both in last both. year. Is that <laughs> in both? <laughs> and that number was probably about, let's see, 324, it looks like. He had 213 strikeouts, 111 walks. So what what would you say? Would you set the number at two eighty point five? I mean, now he played one hundred and fifty three games last year. Uh, I gotta think. I mean, he's going to be the everyday left fielder, so I, I'm going to have to go over on this one too, John. I'm going to go under, and I don't know why because I think you're right. I, I think everything you're saying makes sense, and and as we've seen. I don't think that his time with the Yankees at the end of last year went the way that he wanted necessarily. You know, he he did do what Joey Gallo does, which is three true outcomes. He hit home runs, he struck out, and he walked. And, and, and it's going to be that case. For some reason, I, I just see that number coming down a little bit this year. If it's looking like last year, he could hit this number in, you know, the end of August. But I'm, yeah, I'm still going to have to come down a lot. <laughs> I'm still saying under. I think that uh, – <laughs> Hopefully, when I say it comes under, it comes under on the strikeouts and not the walks, but I, I, I'm saying under. Um, so we'll we'll see on this one. At least we're disagreeing every now and then. <laughs> Longest win streak over under nine games. Obviously, last year, we all got to enjoy uh, that August surge. Nine games is still a pretty long win streak. So I am going under. I think that you can have a Really, really great World Series champion team that never wins more than eight games in a season in a row. And I think that expecting nine or more is quite a thing. Yeah, I, I hate to do it, but I have to agree with you. I think it's tough to get to nine. I mean, last year's 13-game winning streak was just crazy. 
Um, you know, especially when they did it in August, like right after the trade deadline, when you had all these new faces coming in and stuff, that was just really unexpected and was super fun to watch. But yeah, you know, I, I could see him rattling off seven or eight games, uh, maybe more than once, but, uh, to get to nine is a pretty tall order. So, I mean, I would, I would love to be wrong on this one, but I'll, I'll take the under. Yeah. We are really making compelling, uh, content here. <laughs> Isaiah Kiner Falefa over yeah. under stolen bases, 21 and a half. Yeah. 20 last year. Yes. A career high 20 last year. Um, I know he wants to steal more, but boy, I mean, that's, he played like every day last year and got to 20. So I don't know. He's also, you know, going to have these big boppers coming up after him in the lineup. He could maybe just sit back sometimes and wait for the long ball. <laughs> um, I'll say under on the, on the, would you say 21 and a half? Yes. 21 and a half. I'll, I'll go with the under, but would not be surprised at all if he proves me wrong. I'm going on the over for the same reason almost that you said. I actually think that the Yankees are going to want him to be aggressive on the base paths. Obviously, sure, you know, you, the last thing you want is for someone to be making it out in front of some of your best hitters. But if you figure where he's going to be hitting in the lineup, which is probably you'd figure in that seven, eight, or nine spot, um, you assume followed by like a DJ LeMahieu and then an Aaron Judge. You know, obviously these are guys with power, but they're also guys who are going to punch the ball into the gaps a lot. And man, would you like to have a runner on second base instead of a runner on first in a lot of these situations? And I, and I think that it's been a knock on the Yankees in recent years. They haven't had the athleticism. They haven't been quick enough on the base pass. I think they are going to want to deploy Kiner Falefa to the best of his abilities. Now the question is, is he on base enough to get this number? I do think he can get above 21 and a half. I put him at like 25 to 26. So I'm going over on that. This is a kind of two-parter. Will any Yankee receive rookie of the year votes this year? And if so, who? I would say, you know, one young guy uh, who I'm excited to, to see how he develops in 2022 is Luis Heal. We've seen it. It takes a lot more than the five starters who come out of camp to, to stitch together a full season. And I feel like he's a guy who could, he might get his, his shot here to show what he can do. And if he does, He's got an immense upside. Um, so uh, I guess if I had to tab one, you know, young guy who I could see, you know, being given the opportunity to make an impact and coming through enough to receive rookie of the year votes, I think Heal would probably be my, my pick. How about you? So this is annoying because I was going to say yes, and I was going to say Heal as well. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to change it up just to be fun, just have fun then. I'm still saying yes. I will say Clark Schmidt instead. I think that... Mm. It's very clear we have not seen the full Clark Schmidt yet, uh, you know, between injuries, between everything else. The team has been high on him, so high on him since they even drafted him as he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, knowing they wouldn't be able to use him for a while. So obviously, this is a guy who has has the ability, has the confidence of the team. So I, I like him to develop a little bit more this year. I think that there are ways to get him into games that I think we'll see. I think, you know, the Yankees rotation – there are questions about some of those spots in there. I think it's obviously, as you've said, going to take more than five. But one thing Schmidt's done well is kind of move all around and be, and be effective in, in different places of the game. So I'm saying Schmidt. I think that if I had gone first, though, I would have heal. But that's fine. Let's be different. Okay, last one so that we can all get back to our, our jobs. Luis Severino starts over under 23 and a half. So I'm going to go first here. Obviously, 
Severino is, is, I think, the reason I save this for last. I think he's the most interesting part of the 2022 season for the Yankees. He's slotted in right now as the team's number two starter, but he also, again, this is uh, Wednesday. He was supposed to pitch tonight, and he's not because of some soreness. That does not seem at all like something that anyone's worried about yet, but it is you know, something to keep in mind. He has not pitched more than six innings in a couple of years. And you wonder what his innings max is this year. But one of the things that interests me about this 23.5 number is even if he's on an innings max, do you see some opener situations from him maybe as a way to keep down his innings sometimes? So maybe he is starting a, a, a lot of these. So that's why I'm kind of going back and forth here. I'm still going to come in it under. And I don't think that has anything other than the fact that they're just going to manage his workload. But that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whether he stays healthy or whether he's effective. I, I just think that 23.5 seems high to me for a guy coming off six innings last year and basically none, you know, in the years before that. So I'm saying under, but I'm fascinated to see what the actual number is. Yeah, I'm with you, John. I'm very intrigued to see if Sevy can get back to being Sevy this year because in 2017, 2018, he was just Amazing. I mean, an all-star both years. Really, I mean, in 2018, he was he was one of the best pitchers in the American League that year. And he was a workhorse when he was. I mean, he made all his starts. Uh, he's going to get back to that at some point. So maybe this year isn't the year he gets all the way back to making 30, 31 starts again. But maybe he does hit 24. So part of me is uh, maybe this is just wishful thinking, but I'm going to stay positive in, in regards to Luis Severino and say he goes over 23 and a half this year. I love, I love a couple of disagreements there. So, so this was fun. Obviously it's fun to do it. It's also fun to know that sometime, you know, whether it's October or November, when the Yankee season comes to an end, we'll get to look back on this and see uh, how smart we thought we were and how little we knew, but Nate, Thank you for uh, joining me here. I got to say we are a week out from real baseball season. I'm about a couple of hours back out from going to GMS field and, and seeing some guys take some grounders and hit some balls and things like that. I couldn't be more excited for this next week and these next six months, but as always, it's just great to get to talk to you and great to do this stuff. Absolutely. Enjoy your time down there, John, and uh, I'll see you when you get back. And to all of you, thank you for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We are so excited to be uh, finishing up our fifth season, getting ready for our sixth season, and we're excited to show you all that we have coming up this year. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email at podcast at yankees.com. We also just launched a Facebook page. So welcome to the 20th century, Yankees fans. And uh, you should make sure to follow us to stay up to date with everything we're doing at Yankees Magazine. Just search Facebook for Yankees Magazine. You'll get information about all of our stories, giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff. For our Yankees Magazine subscribers, the spring issue should be arriving to you soon if it hasn't already. But we have so much more to offer you. Subscribe now and get special package offers with incredible deals. You can often score free tickets with a subscription, plus offers on yearbooks and single issues. Call 800-GO-YANKS for details or visit yankees.com slash publications. Plus, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash mags. There you'll find our latest features, including the two pieces we discussed today on Rachel Dalkovich and Clay Holmes. And of course, follow us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, to stay up to date with all that we have coming your way this year. That's it. See you next time, and go Yanks! Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting 
yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800 go yanks